Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of the one who calmed the sea of Galilee. Today, we are blessed to know the one whose words cannot be broken. Amen? Amen. Even by the mighty wind and waves, he who speaks and the sound of his voice is so sweet that the birds hush their singing, yet powerful enough to say, let there be light in all of the heavens stand in attention and obedience and obey His very words. He who stopped the turning of the earth yet held its inhabitants fast to their places instead of allowing them to be flung into space. He who could speak to the dead and even they would awake from their slumber. He is the same yesterday, today and forever and the power of his words have not diminished one degree. Can we say thanks be to God? Faith in him is not mere bravado. When we swell in confidence that His words turn the worlds or make them still, we do not merely rattle our swords at our enemy, but we warn them of a certainty. Amen? Hear the words of the people of God. Hear the words our enemies. Hear them as well. The Lord is my light, Psalm 27 says, and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Can you hear how we could be saying that? Our enemies come against us and they look at us as what we are, rabble. We're tiny, we're small, we're weak. But we can stand up with our chest puffed out. We can stand with confidence in our heart and say, The Lord is my strength and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? For the Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat of my flesh, they stumbled and fell. And though it host should encamp against me, My heart shall not fear, though war should rise against me. In this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble He shall hide me in His pavilion. In the secret of His tabernacle shall He hide me. He shall set my feet upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. And therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, O Lord, thy face will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me and put not thy servant away in anger. For thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, what will happen? But the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in the plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. And may we say it all today, I would faint. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we are called into your presence, hearing these strong words of the psalmist, Lord, reminding us that as although we look around us and we feel so insignificant, Lord, may we be like uh, the servant of the prophet whose eyes were opened 
And instead of seeing the, the army compassed about with so great a power, but we saw that the angel of the Lord camps about those who love Him. And Lord God, may we see Your, your array, your, your host of angels in the power, Lord. May we be reminded that You are the Lord of hosts. May we not fear what we see with our eyes, but may we fear God and fear God alone. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. Our text today for my sermon, Faith versus Fear, comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Before I read it, I would like to say uh, I'm pretty glad to be home. Um, I have missed you folks, and um, a lot of the strength that goes with me is knowing that you're here. And uh, you guys are. Uh, you know, I'm up there at that village and I'm just thinking, man, I just wish every single one of you could be right here with me. Uh, and I know that's not possible, uh, but in a sense, you are there. So the, the blessings that you provide, the support that you provide, the love that you su- supply as, uh, as we are knit together into a body uh, makes the work outside of our church possible. But I'm always glad to come back to my favorite place, which is right here. So let's read Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And the same day, when the even was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and they said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and he rebuked the wind. And he said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him. Let us pray. Dear God, we know what it is like to forget. And fear is one of the things that can really cause us to forget. May we remember, Lord, that you're in the boat. May we remember what you have said. Speak to our hearts as we hear your word. Apply it to our lives so that we cannot be merely forgetful hearers, Lord God, but that we can be doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. You may be seated. Here in Mark chapter 4, Jesus had just finished calling the twelve. He had performed miracles and confronted religious establishment again and again. He had confronted demonic power and showed that he had authority over that. And he had continued to uh, correct the man-made traditions that had usurped God's law. Many who had seen his wonderful works thronged him. They pressed on him. They tried to come to him just like any, any, it would happen at any time. If someone were healing everybody, people that needed healed would show up. One could say that he retreated, in a sense, into the boat where he continued to, to teach. In the boat, at least, they could only press him from one direction or he could teach from a distance and continue to speak while uh, he decided whether he wanted to, to heal anyone. He had come doing miracles, but the miracles he did were to confirm his identity that he was the Son of God. They were to show who he was through the power that was granted to him by the Father. Remember, every person, and and when I I say this, it may even sound disrespectful, but it is not. Every person that Jesus healed died. Even Lazarus, his friend whom he raised from the dead. Lazarus 
later died. Now, the idea that just fixing everybody's fleshly problems or sickness that they were subject to, uh, that is not what Jesus came to do. Um, It was the message of Jesus, the message of the kingdom of God. Everybody say the kingdom of God. It was the message of the kingdom of God that would bring about permanent change. When he healed a man, the man would later die. The man would not only later die, but probably he would get sick again. Probably many that were healed of fevers got other fevers. And many that uh, maybe even that were healed of being paralyzed, maybe they were paralyzed again. Jesus had not come to uh, plant a flag in the earth at that moment that now from that point on, everyone could get their healing. That is not what Jesus came to do. He came to preach the message of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God would conquer all the nations and the powers of the world. Jesus was not creating a sideshow, a house of wonders to form a massive following to himself. He had come for one reason and he had come to die. He come to teach us all that our lives are all worth giving for others. And that it will not be in our living as much that we change the world as it is in our dying. For he that shall save his life shall do what? They shall lose it. But he that loses his life for my sake shall what? Shall find it. We as he was must be the kernel of wheat that falls into the ground and dies before we bear fruit. That is God's kingdom come and his will be done. On earth. Everybody say on earth. earth. Everybody say on earth. As it is in heaven. Now our text from Mark chapter 4 tells us the story of Jesus calming the Sea of Galilee. It's a story I'm sure everyone here has heard many times in your life. But I'm sure it is no less pertinent to your life or the life of every believer as it ever has been today. The story is yet another story that is told in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. Everybody say the Synoptic Gospels. Say them with me. Matthew. Mark and Luke. We could just say the Cusel brothers. We could just say that. And all the Cusel brothers. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In fact, I call them the, Synop- the gospel brothers. I should call them the synoptic gospel brothers. That's what I should call them, right? We read the story in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. He says, Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples. And he said unto them, Let us go to the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. You'll notice as we read Luke 8 and we read also in Matthew that there are certain elements that are consistent in all three stories. They're almost exactly alike. As they sailed, he fell asleep, and there came a storm, the wind on the lake, they were filled, the, the boat was filled with water, and they were in jeopardy. They woke him, and he awoke, saying, Master, Master, we perish. He arose, he rebuked the wind, the raging water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they being afraid, everybody say, afraid. afraid. They wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. You'd think by now they would not have been wondering what manner of man he was. It's not like they had seen many people doing the things that he was doing. But even though it was happening before their very eyes, it, is, uh, it, is, it, it shouldn't really surprise us that they forget. The children of Israel saw him uh, bring all the plagues on Egypt. And he saw even the Red Sea part. But what did they do? They got on the other side and they did what? They forgot. We look at them and we chide and we say, if we had been there, we wouldn't have done that. And I would say, if you would have been there, you would have done that. If you had been in the life of Jesus and been one of his disciples and he had healed all these people and you were out in a boat and you were in this situation, you would forget who he was too. Because fear makes us forget. Everybody say, fear makes us forget. There they were. So we read about it again, not only in Luke, but we'll read about it in Matthew. When he was entered into the ship. His disciples followed him. So he's in the ship and his disciples are in the ship. Behold, there rose a great tempest in the sea inasmuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. I mean, folks, this is very similar. It's almost exactly the same. His disciples came. They awoke him saying, Lord, save us. We perish. And he said, why are you fearful? Everybody say, why am I fearful? Oh, ye of little faith, he said. And he arose, he rebuked the wind, the waves, the sea, and there was a great calm. But then they marveled and they asked themselves this question. What manner of man is this? 
that even the winds and the sea obey Him. I think we oftentimes forget what manner of God we serve. I think that we get in a place in our lives over and over again, and it's not just you, it's me. It's me on a mountain. It's me in a car. It's me in my life. It's me when I have difficulties with this thing that seems so important in my life. And I do just what they did and just what you do. I forget. What manner of, what manner of God do we serve? The Bible says that God cares about us. That He numbers the hairs on our head. Now Steve, me and you, maybe that's fewer than other people. But he, he numbers the hairs on our head that he notices that even when a sparrow falls to the ground and that he notices our hair, that he cares about us, that he loves us, that, that even though we're like, like the psalmist say, you know, oh man, what, what is man that thou art mindful of him? But what is man that thou art mindful of him? He's, he, we're gods. He made us and he made us for his glory. And so he has decided to be mindful of us, not because we're worth being mindful of, but because our worth comes the fact that He minds us. All three stories are very similar, and I think it is plain to see that the Holy Spirit intended for us to see the basic elements of the story very clearly and did so to teach us plainly what real-life challenge faith can be and how easy it is to give way to fear. We face every day of our lives, and in every instance we choose faith or fear. Faith is always the choice that we should make. But as you know, like the disciples do, what do we do? We often give way to fear. You know, it's an amazing thing how God uses you and you don't really know what's going to happen. You don't know how you can have an effect on people's life. And as as I was preparing my sermon, uh, I ended up uh, having a session meeting in South Carolina that lasted an hour and a half and dealing with different issues. And, and, and you know, the fact that their pastor there is so loving that he's worried about one of their parishioners. And so we have a big talk about this young man in their congregation, a man he's worried about. And um, so he's like, will you give him a call? And of course, I'm tired and I'm trying to work on my sermon and I'm thinking, well, you know, whatever. And I'll call him, you know, and I was kind of, I was kind of hoping maybe he'd be too busy to take my call or see it was me calling and just not answer the call. And I could just say, well, you know, he's just gone. He's gone bad. But as it would be, that's not what happened. He answered the phone and we talked and, and I realized in that moment, this is what God has called me for. God has called me to say to people, Hey, brother, you're afraid. But you're not afraid uh, and and choosing fear out of ignorance. Here you are. Your fear has caused you to forget what kind of God you serve. And I'm like, man, this is is really good. I I get to preach my message before I preach my message tomorrow. And this young man, uh, I got on the phone and he was so sweet. and, And I was sort of leading him down the road. Do you know what God's word says? He says, yeah, I do. I said, well, what kind of man do you want to be? Do you want to be a man of faith? Do you want to be a man of fear? I want to be a man of faith, sir. I'm like, let me tell you what you're doing. You're, you're a man of fear right now. You're saying this can't happen. You're saying I can't obey God's word. You're saying if I do, this will happen. And I, I don't know who said it to me one day, but I remember somebody said it and I repeated it. I said, I said, hey, boy, I said, you are a false prophet. He said, what are you saying to me? I said, you just told me your future if you obey God's word. I said, you're a false prophet. Oh, but I can't do this. If I do, this will happen. I said, once again, you're a false prophet. He's like, wow, you got a lot of confidence. I said, I'm going to tell you right now. I said, I'm so confident that God will not let you down, that if he lets you down, I am releasing you right now to turn on God, turn on your family, hate God and hate me the rest of your life. And he goes, well, that's a little harsh. Even if God lets me down, I'm I'm still going to. And I'm like, I'm like, you you, you didn't hear what you said. (laughs) Even if God lets me down, I'm like, I'm like. Son, I said, I have lived my life for many years and I've challenged people. And there's, there's one not in our congregation today. She's her, her legs hurt. And that's why I didn't have my water where it needed to be when I needed it because she takes care of my water. Okay. So Benita, whose leg is hurt. She's, she, here she is, uh, when she's young in her faith. Oh, uh, brother, I would love to believe the word of God in this area of my life, but I can't. I'm telling you, you meet a person who tells you that. If you love them, if you love God, you will say to them, yes, you can. 
And they'll say, oh, but if I do, X, Y, Z will happen. And you can go, you're a false prophet. You guys want to try this out on somebody? (laughs) God does what he says. He says, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all these things will be added unto us. He hasn't promised us that we'll never get sick. He hasn't promised us that no one we love will ever die. But he has promised us that if we seek him first, he will take care of us. I met this man uh, in, in 1987. I, it's probably funny that I even remember the year, but he came to the college I was attending and he was like this tall and he had the biggest feet I've ever seen in my life. And he comes lumbering in, you know, and he comes into the Bible college and he looked like a character, you know, from a movie or something. And nobody greeted him and he was just coming into the cafeteria to eat and I happened to be right there. And I'm looking at him and I'm just kind of like, wow, you know, and, and then I'm like, well, I'm kind of a precocious one, and I'm like, hey, could could I eat with you? And he's like, well, sure. And he had this real deep voice, you know. And and here I was, this guy's name was Morris Plotz. You probably never heard of the guy. He had been a missionary who had gone to Africa and given 50 years of his life in the jungles over there, got malaria, lived a rough life. And and they called him Buwane Timba. Lord of the elephants, because he was the tallest guy they'd ever seen with the biggest feet. And I sat next to him and I'm thinking, okay. And I, and later I noticed that, that he wrote the forward to the yearbook that I got from Bible college and that he was this, he was this giant of the faith. Well, all I knew is that he was this giant guy with really big feet and I thought he was lonely and I thought, well, I'll eat with him, you know, so he doesn't have to eat alone. So in the course of our conversation, I'm asking about him and I'm talking about him and, and I realize he's telling me about how he has served God. I said, I said, in all your years, I said, what have you learned that you could pass on to a young man who who wants to serve God and and who's going to go in the ministry? And buddy, it didn't, Luke, he didn't even have to think about it. He goes, I'll tell you right now. He goes, you put in your 40 hours for God. And if God has to chip it off the streets of gold, you're going to get paid. He said, he said, you worry one day about God providing for you for money. He said, and you're a fool. He said, serve God, seek first the kingdom, and he will take care of you. And I was like, whoa, dude, that's pretty, that's pretty stout. So as I talk to people and they tell me, oh, I can't obey God. I can't tithe or I, I can't you know, not work on the Sabbath day or I can't do whatever because if I do... XYZ. I say, you're a false prophet. God's word is true and you're not. I challenge this young man to obey God's word. That to look right in the face of what appears to be too scary for you to imagine and say no to fear and say yes to faith. And I said, and here's what I want you to do. I said, will you call me when your miracle comes? Now, you may think, wait a minute, I thought we were at the Presbyterian church today. No, I didn't say, brother, sow a seed into my ministry and God will bless you. You know, no, I didn't say that. Come and and anoint my handkerchief and rub it across the sweat of my brow and my anointment will flow onto you. No, I didn't say that. I said, believe God's word. And if God's word isn't true, folks, if God's word isn't true, then the whole world is going to collapse and the sun is going to come up tomorrow. Amen. But what fear does in our lives is it makes us forget. It makes us forget who's in the boat. It makes us forget what he has said. And all we can see is what we can see. Let's take a closer look at this story and see what Mark tells us. Everybody say the same day. Now I picked Mark over Luke and Matthew because Mark just gives us more. Okay. Uh, in Matthew and Luke, it just says one day he did it. But in Mark, it says the same day. And I figured, well, if, if he did something on the same day, it'd be on the same day as what? Right? I mean, when Jesus does something in the flesh and he fleshes out the word of God in their life, generally speaking, you will find that he has just told them in words what he wants them to know that they're not getting. And so what he does is he does it in the flesh. So when it said the same day, I thought it might be worth looking up. What did he say on the same day? What was the same day? And so I went back and I read the beginning part of the chapter of Mark chapter 4. And that was the same day he had sat down by the seaside. And what sea was it? Everybody say the Sea of Galilee. 
And he taught the people in parables. Everybody say parables. Now, he explained to his disciples that he taught in parables because he did not want the people who were hearing him that were the multitude. He didn't want them to understand. Now, folks, if that doesn't put like a crazy thing over your brain, I don't know what will. And if you aren't uh, reformed and you haven't come to the understanding of how God works, this can be very confusing. So Jesus makes a speech. And he makes it, and he tells it in such a way that they don't get what he's saying unless they become his followers. Now, if that doesn't put a wrinkle in your theology, I don't know why it didn't like make me fall on my theology fall on its face years ago. But as I'm reading it today, it's very plain. Jesus was not trying to see how many people he could get around him. He wasn't creating a shallow pool in his church where if they, you know, got uh, to to understanding these things that didn't offend them so much, he could ease them into the deeper thing. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus plunged them right into the sea and he ran them off. He, He said things to them to run them off unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. He said stuff to people and it said people just took off. They didn't follow him after that. That was what he was trying to do. You see, what Jesus was doing in teaching those people and in living out what happens on the Sea of Galilee, it wasn't for them. It was for those 12 people. And you might even say, well, that seems a little bit odd. I'm telling you that what is going on around your life, I believe you can support from Scripture that God is orchestrating the events around your life, not for everybody, but for you. What does it say? All things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Well, how can that be, Steve? They're not working out that way for my neighbor. But they do happen to be working out that way for me. Why? Because I'm God's called according to his purpose. So he sent the multitude away. He did not want them to understand. He wanted his disciples to understand. So he told them the parable of the sower. You guys remember this? He tells them the parable. There's a sower. He went out to sow, right? He, he cast seed and the seed fell on the stony ground, but it didn't grow, right? It went in the thorn ground and it didn't, it didn't grow. But when it went on good ground, what happened? It grew. He's teaching them something. He's saying the multitude is like the thorny ground. Satan comes and he can take it away. The multitude is like uh, those that were stony ground where the, it can't take root. He goes, but you are the good ground. He's trying to explain this to them, but they're not understanding it. They're just seeing it like, what? He goes, yeah, the devil, he comes and he takes it away. He's explained to them that what God is doing in their lives, that although they'd love to see the big, the big giant picture of the kingdom of God, that the giant picture of the kingdom of God was really, really small. I mean, we love it when the church is full, right? But do you know when God's people are here, if there's five of them, that's big. We learn about this in Scripture, but we don't like it. We, we feel better when there's more people, don't we? You know, when I meet other pastors, a lot of times, how many people go to your church? You know, and I'm like, we don't count. Well, the reason we don't count is because I don't want to have to tell you how many. And I always like to say, I, I'm really not that sure. It, it, it's always full. Every time I come, it looks like there's a lot of people there. Because they're going to validate your ministry on how, people, how many people show up, right? God told them not to count the children of Israel, so I'm not counting y'all, okay? Actually, I, I have actually counted, so <clears throat> there's 15, 15 people here today right now, <laughs> at least. Now, he then, after he tells them the parable of the sower, he tells them the parable of the mustard seed. He explains to them that although the mustard seed is little and it's the smallest among them, that when it goes in the ground and it dies, it's going to produce this great thing that's not only going to be great for it, but it's going to be great for a lot of others. Birds are going to lodge in it. It's going to provide shade. It's going to provide fruit. He's trying to explain to them that you people are little and you're nothing in the eyes of the world, but what I'm going to do for you is going to be cataclysmic. It's going to be great. And so... He was trying to say, what we're going to do is we're going to make visible what was invisible. We're going to make visible the kingdom of God. So what is it? What's it like? How will it come? What can, what can I do? The basic message of the parables that the kingdom of God comes as God wills it to come, where he has prepared it to come, and he brings it through the weak and small things of the world to save the world. It isn't going to come because the disciples end up being these great people. It's going to come because God is great. 
It may be hard to understand, but Jesus was not gathering crowds around him for the sake of crowds. He was not playing a numbers game, preaching to, to so many, maybe some might come. Jesus, in his own words, was ministering and teaching to his disciples by what he said and did. His focus was on the small group of mostly fishermen and not the multitude. You see, the multitudes came and went, but who stayed? His disciples. I remember early on. Do you know our church was twice the size as this right here? When we were down at Tim, when we were down on Bellows, down on Campbell Avenue. I counted then. There were, there, were, there were twice as many people. They were hanging out the windows. They were all over the porches. And God deals with my heart one day and says, you know, that which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And challenged me to quit being their social worker and quit, quit going. And I would go to church four hours earlier and I would make sure they got dressed and give them rides and beg them to come and guilt them into coming. And they'd all come and it'd be great. And man, it felt good to have them piling out the windows and the doors and people would go, wow, God's really doing something. And you know what I knew? I knew I was really doing something. And when God challenged me, I said, you know, what would happen if I stopped doing what I was doing? I'm like, well, they'd all go away. And you know, what was kind of neat is that God was doing something, but what he was doing was a small thing. Right, Tim? Because when we just shut it all down, you know who wouldn't go away? Tim, he wouldn't go away. Tim's like, so where could I come over to your house? (laughs) Christina, hey, you know, what, what are you guys doing today? I'd be like, honey, they're in our living room again. We tried to even shut the whole church down, and here they are. They won't leave us alone. <coughs> Luke's like, you know, well, you know, what, what, you guys gonna, what are you doing? <laughs> and so God began to teach me how He works. God birthed something in the hearts of these folks, and I could even be a bad pastor, have no idea what I'm doing. And God's going to let these people grow, while these other people that I'm juggling around and trying to keep, they, they'll just go away. This is, this is what was the beginning of the change of my theology about this whole subject. Because, you know, I was raised uh, to be a sales guy. And I can close a deal. God doesn't need deal closers. Amen? The Bible says no flesh should glory in His presence. That's why we have churches of thousands and thousands of people in these giant buildings. These, God is not working in those people as a whole. But you can build, if you if you got skills, which... That ends up not working out. We may like to think of ourselves as teaching others, but it may be more true that God and what goes on in the lives of others around us is God's discipleship of us. He draws us nearer to Himself. So here they were. He had just told them that they... Uh, there was no doubt, there was no idea, they had no idea what he was talking about. He didn't understand this parables, that his own disciples. So it was time for a personal lesson. Isn't it amazing how when bad things happen to people that we know, we, we, we don't really learn very much from them, right? We hear a story. Andy, you know, you hear a story, XYZ happened to this person, and you hear about it, and you're like, yeah, that's fine. But the smallest thing happens to us, and now we know, Right? You know, I used to make fun of people who, you know, who had back pain. And I'm like, uh, yeah, that's a buzzword for lazy. You know, it's time to move. Oh, I'd like to help, but my back is hurting. And I'd be like, you bunch of sissies. You know, my back never hurt a day in my life. You know, yeah, because I'm tough. I'm strong and you're lazy. So God afflicts me with horrible back pain. Immediately, I'm compassionate. Now my compassion flows. Yeah, it flows from the fact that my back hurts so bad that I'm like, I'm doing that. God has a way of electrifying our understanding, right? And so they're like, yeah, yeah, we heard what you said. We, you know, we got it, we got it, we got it. Jesus is like, all right, we're going to the other side. Gets in the boat and goes to sleep. Now, folks, this, this, the picture of what's going on here is so incredible, It's time for a personal lesson. So like I said, there they were. Here we are, okay? Folks, right where they are is right where we are too. We need a personal lesson. It was the same day after the lesson. He says, let us pass over to the other side. Now, simple enough, right? They didn't need to find a boat. They didn't need to get a ticket. They didn't need to get in a boat. They were already in a boat, and Jesus is telling them what's happening. Now, don't miss what he said, right? He is the Word of God. 
living, made flesh. He's the word of God. His words mattered. Every word he said mattered. Now, they didn't understand what manner of man he was. They didn't understand that he was the word, right? In the beginning was the word. The word was made flesh, right? In the beginning, right? Without, there was nothing made that was made, right? Except him. He is the living word of God. And he says, we're going to the other side. See, this is where they, they didn't understand. If Jesus said it, it was going to happen. But they didn't know that. They didn't understand what manner of man they had in their boat. It almost sounds like another verse in the Bible, though. He says, let us pass over to the other side. It almost sounds like let us make man in our image. Anyway, the words were no less sensational, though. In fact, because he said them, it would be so. As sure as it was that man would be created at the words, let us make man in our image. When he said, let us go to the other side, it was so that short as well. Jesus had spoken and it would be so, but they hadn't quite understood who he was. And what happens next in the story makes clear of that enough. So verse 36, when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with them many ships. Now I'm pointing this out again because I get to preach in it and I don't preach by my notes. So you'll get it twice. All right. He sends away the multitude. Jesus is always sending away who? Everybody say the multitude, right? He did not hold crusades and hire bands to get crowds of people to repeat the sinner's prayer. In fact, again and again, he purposely ran people off. Why would he do that? All you need to do is remember the parable he told earlier to know it. Salvation is God's work. Everybody say salvation is God's work. The Bible says we're born again, not by the will of man, not by the will of flesh, but by the will of God. Not clever salesmanship, professional guilt preaching. Closing deals that bring people to the decision to accept Jesus as their personal Savior. No. Only when the Word is sown on soil prepared to accept it, does it grow at all. He sends the multitude away to teach a lesson to His chosen few. Those whom, as He says, God has given Him. And I really think that's what's going on in this story and in our lives more than we know. Sometimes God sends away the multitude. And it's just us and Him. We feel alone in the dark. At sea, sometimes he sends a storm just for us. Sometimes a God who never sleeps, sleeps, it seems, in the back of the boat while the wind begins to blow. You might say, what's going on around me? I can tell you right now what's going around you. God has created an environment around you for you. He has brought the storm. He has brought the darkness. And He has you out there. And there's nothing that you have that can save you. Sometimes we need to be right there. In fact, we need to be there a lot. Verse 37, there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat the ship so that it was full. Now, the Sea of Galilee is well known for its sudden violent storms even to this day. The heat, the mountains, the geography... Uh, nearby other factors uh, create a perfect storm of perfect storms, really. The original language is clear that this was no little wind and wave. It was a real horror. Now, if you read this like a little Bible story, like it didn't really happen, and you're just kind of getting through the elements, oh yeah, he went out there and there was a storm, and, 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 they, and they were scared, oh, they were sissies, you know, and whatever. Folks, think about, can you stop for just a minute and think about what was going on? Now, there is little more frightening than being uh, in a small boat on a big sea at night. A- anybody ever have that experience? I don't, I don't know that anybody's ever had that. Anybody here have that? On the big sea, in the dark, in a big storm. Okay? Now, honestly, I get scared just thinking about it. Now, you, you, you may all be way tougher than me, but... I'm telling you right now, water scares the living daylights out of me. I can be in broad daylight, you know, on an ocean, and I know there are like sea monsters in there. Has this ever happened to any of you? I mean, I swim in Deer Creek, and I'm like, I know, I know, (laughs) yeah. I know there's something bigger under that water. I mean, you know, maybe it was because when I was young, I watched the movie Jaws. And and like when when the when the tub water gets murky, I get I get like you know what what's going to happen here. 
But but storms are scary enough, you know. Uh, I wish Christy was Christy's not here, right? So I, you know, storm is scary. Things are flying through the air, and and your house is coming apart, and wind, that's scary enough. But now let's make it dark, okay? Like it's almost like a movie set. Okay, St- the storm's scary, but now let's turn the lights out. Okay, now now you've gone from scary to to really scary, right? Now that you don't know what's about to hit you in the face, it's flying through the thing, and and in fact, there might be monsters out there. There might be storm monsters. Okay, maybe I had just too many monsters. Too much. In fact, I did have too many monsters growing up. <laughs> but then, on all that, every possible death at every gust, crashing thunder. But to compound it, a storm at night. It takes it up a notch. You know, here we are out in the woods in, in the jungle and, and they tell us, oh, there are four or five tigers that live on this mountain now. I mean, you're, you're a pretty big guy, but I mean, a tiger weighs 600 pounds and you'd be like a little mouse and it'd be like a cat. Like, you don't, you don't outrun a tiger, okay? It's not like a bear where you can climb a tree. It lives in trees, you know? And it's like, there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. You can't jump in the water. They love water. They like to swim. They can swim faster than you, you know? But now, so you take tigers and that's bad enough. But how about a tiger at night? That's even scarier, folks. So, but now they're, they're in the sea, all right? They're, it's night. There's a storm. I mean, can you see, can, folks, these are the elements of sheer terror, right? You don't know what's under the water, how deep it is. Could I, could I make it to the shore? And if that wasn't scary enough, they're in a little boat. I mean, I've been on a ship before, you know, we got to go on a ship when we went on our thing and, and we're in the, you know, the Atlantic and that's great. But still it's like, whoa, you know, what, what if a hole came? Like I can't see land on either side. The Sea of Galilee is not Deer Creek. There, there was no land in sight. You know, they're out there. They're miles from shore. There's no land. It's night. They can't see. They don't know which way would even swim. Scary stuff. Now the waves are crashing over their boat, coming into the boat. The original language basically it makes it clear that these waves were going over the boat. They were filling the boat. This was terrifying. But I think to, to just to set it off in a complete... Uh, like, you know, as a literary picture, Jesus is asleep. He's not just asleep. He's asleep on a pillow. Now, come on. I mean, imagine you're telling this horrible story. And you're like, and so-and-so was asleep. And they were on a pillow. Like, like, like the, the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit adds, and he was on a pillow. That's, a, that's crazy. Why? Because he was. Here he was. He's nestled. He's on a pillow. He's asleep. The perfect picture of what, Luke? Perfect picture of peace, right? It's not that he's, you know, like we were, we were in these vans for like 20 hours and, and we're like half asleep and we're down the road and we're locking arms to keep from falling off of our seat and people are throwing up in the back and you're like, oh yeah. No, no. He's in the boat. He's nestled on a pillow sleeping. Now, wouldn't that make you mad? <laughs> we're all about to die. The boat's filling with water, and he's taking a nap on a pillow, and doesn't he look peaceful? Wake up! Come on! I've felt this way about my teenage kids, you know? The house is falling apart. It's not clean. What's wrong with you? And they're just, you know, drool coming down the side of their mouth. What, 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 what? You read the story, you might say, what was wrong with these guys? What was wrong with these guys is they're, they're human beings who are terrified they're going to die. And guess who put them in this situation, Luke? God. On purpose, was, was, he was ratcheting up their circumstances to the point where they forgot who was in the boat, they forgot what he had said about the boat, and they forgot everything. And they're, all they can think about is, do you not love us? How many people have been in a place in your life when you've called out to God? Do you not care? Maybe some of us as our children get older, our children will be in a place and we know that leaving them where they are in the situation is going to be the best possible thing for them. And they're going to go, what's wrong? Why don't you love us? And Jesus answered, that's why I brought the storm. That's why the water's filling the boat. That's why it's nighttime. Because I love you. Why? Because you know what? I'm not always going to be 
in the boat. Now, maybe people think the message is Jesus is always in the boat. You just got to wake him up. I don't really think that's the message. He's always in the boat. You just got to go. People preach about God like he's a genie in a land. You know, just rub the lamp three times. Remind him what his word says. And you can make God to bring healing to you, brother. And I'm like going, are, are you like Buddhist or something? Get your, you know, your feng shui or whatever it is that you got. What, what are you doing? Jesus was not too stupid to know that they were. Jesus made this happen to them. People don't like people don't like the fact that God brings darkness. People don't like the fact that God brings illness sometimes. People don't like the fact that difficulty comes in our lives. But he said all things work together for good to them that love God, who are called according to his purpose. God had brought these things. We say it in the Heidelberg. God, without the power of God, not a hair can fall from my head. And so God has made the storm. And maybe you're at the place where you're like, God, don't you love me? And God is saying to you, I love you. And that's why I've brought the storm. I haven't just come to walk on the water. I haven't just come to raise the dead. I haven't just come to show you that uh, that people can be healed. Folks, that can happen, but that's not the greatest thing I've come. I've come to bring the kingdom of God from heaven to earth. And I'm not going to be in the boat with you. One day I'm going to leave and you're going to be in a boat like this. And you're going to need the faith to say to the waves and the wind, be calm and be still. And you really won't need a lot of faith to be able to do that. You just need to remember what I have said. That's what the message is here. Fear makes us forget. Everybody say it again. When a woman goes into labor, fear grips the heart of a first-time dad. He can't find his car keys. He can't find the hose to fill the birthing pool. It sort of personalizes this message for our church, right? This won't make it out to the broad evangelical world and make sense. The pose for the birthing pool? He can't remember his name. Someone yells fire in a crowded room and you're like, where's the door? It made them forget. They forgot Jesus was with them. They forgot who he was. They forgot that he cared. They forgot that he was in the boat with them. And they forgot what he had said that they would do. They didn't forget, though, that he was sleeping. They forgot what he had said. When we fear, we don't forget we know God or that he is with us. We forget what he has said. Does that make sense? They knew where he was. They knew he was on the pillow. They knew where he could wake him up. They knew they could shake him and they would get him up. They knew all of that. But what they had forgotten is what he said. And they could have, and the story could have a different ending. But they remembered that he said we were going to the other side and they had faith and they let him sleep on in the bow of the boat and they trusted in God. And one of them got up and said, Lord, either you can calm the storm or we can brave it. We don't know. I don't know. Story could have a different ending. Your life stories will have different endings based on what you do. This young man I was talking to the other day, well, yesterday, I'm like, I'm like, I know what happens next in your life if you do what I say. I know. He's like, how can you know? I'm like, buddy, I've, I've lived my life. I've served God. And so I told him like just three or four little miracle stories. And I'm like, buddy, that can be your story. Do you guys know that the South Carolina church was just given a church building for free? Do you guys know this? Now, if you remember, Paul... I got to be on their session and they were making jokes. Hey, four buildings have been given to Brother Robinette and his church. And, I, and they're like, we're going to build. We're gonna, I, I said, well, why don't you pray God will give you a church? And they're like, well, I guess if he's given you a church, he can give us a church too. So out of the blue, they get a church. I call Matt. He goes, buddy, I'm telling you right now, this is, got, this is going on your church uh, giving, giving, giving a church by God category. You get to include this one right here. I'm like, I do. He goes, oh yeah. He goes, you said to pray for a church. We've been praying for a church. And now we got a church. Can we say thanks be to God? Do you know those people can afford to build their own church? They got money. But instead of having a church, now they have a miracle. Now every time they walk in the door, they can remember, you know, we asked God for this. And here it is. You see, God 
is looking for faith in the earth. That's what the Bible says. Without faith, it is impossible to what? To please God. Everyone that comes to God must believe that he is and he is the rewarder. What? Of those who? He goes through Hebrews chapter 11 saying over by faith, by faith, by faith. They did this. And you might say somebody else has all the good stories. Well, somebody would like somebody else could have the good stories too. Hey, you know what? I believe. I believe if I go to that community center and I begin sowing the word of God that God's going to produce fruit and boom, you see fruit appearing. You see, he had taught the parable of the sower. Some, some faith that we sow brings forth 20 and some brings 40 and some 60. And I'm thinking, Luke's over there. He's sowing in the community center. He's going, he's hearing what the word of God says. He's saying, I got to do something. I got to reach out. I'm going to give what I have. I don't know what will come of it. And all of a sudden fruit begins to pop, 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 pop. Why? Because that's what it does. The incorruptible seed of the word of God, when we sow it, it brings forth fruit. So verse 38, he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on the pillow and they woke him up. And, and I already went through this, but I wrote it down. You guys ready for it again twice? <coughs> asleep on a pillow. What a detail. The boat's filling with water. They're scared to death. Hysteria has set him, but Jesus is not only asleep, he's on. Everybody see he's on a pillow. Wow. The son of man amidst all the danger has found a place to lay his head. You know, I thought of that scripture. The son of, you know, foxes have holes, Right. But the son of man hath no place to lay his head. He's got a place on the boat. He's got a pillow too. People of God, God does not sleep. Everybody say God does not sleep. But it sure seems like he does sometimes. Have you not found yourselves in a terrifying situation wondering where God is? Finding him seemingly asleep. Trust me, the sleep was one of the things, all things. In the all things work together for good. His sleep was a sleep for them. And here they were in danger of dying. They wake up him. They accuse him of not caring. Isn't this just what we do? God, wake up. Don't you see what's going on in my life right now? Don't you care about me? Let's not forget that he cares. Amen. That his mercies are new every morning. That he loves us. I think it was Spurgeon that once said, he said, you know, when... When, when illness and difficulty comes my way, he goes, I see it even as precious because I know it comes from the hand of God who made me and who loves me enough to bring this affliction into my life to make me more like him. Jesus loved those God had given him as he loves us today. He loved them enough to sleep on the boat, to let them face their fears, to show them how easy it is to forget what God has said. It's what we do. In peril after peril, if we're not careful, it's what we do. God, give us faith. Help us understand the danger of fear, unless it is the fear of God. Help us understand what it means to trust God's word, regardless of what God is going on around us. God, give us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind amidst the storms of life. Folks, how many of you ever read, you read about tragedies in history? The ones who end up being the ones in the story everyone remembers are the ones who kept calm. Right? Now what in the world can have a man, what in the world can bring calmness to a man in the midst of apparent, sudden, real danger? Wasn't it Stonewall Jackson who, who the reason they called him Stonewall Jackson is he, he'd walk around and he wouldn't even duck and bullets were whizzing and cannon shots were going. And the people literally, his aides were like hiding behind cells taking over. What do you want us to do? And he'd be like, well, we got to advance. And, sure, I'm sure, I'm sure. They, they called him Stonewall Jackson. Like, the man's insane. He's standing there like a stonewall. That's why they called him that. They're like, what is wrong with you? He goes, boys. He goes, I'm as safe in my bed at night as I am standing here on the battlefield. He said, if God has his will to take my life, then my life will be taken today. I'm not going to be hiding behind any tree. Now, I'm not recommending that. You know, that's not normal Navy training, right, uh, Bill? (laughs) Folks, today we're going to learn about the providence of God. Lay down your weapons and run over and uh, give your enemy a kiss. You know, I, I don't think that, but, but somehow Stonewall saw, he said, how else could a man do his duty on the battlefield unless he did trust the providence of God? 
He would see that his life was be throwing be thrown away for nothing. But if a man obeys the orders he's been given and he trusts the God who loves him and he trusts his life to that man, he said that man, that's the only way a man can really do his duty. And folks, we're in a battle. We're in a battle here in the kingdom of God. And we are living our lives. And every day we come against faith and we, dis- we, we, we come to a place of faith or fear. And when we choose fear, we lose. But every time we choose faith, we win and the kingdom of God wins. Amen? You see, he had been teaching them what the kingdom was and how it would come. It would come through faith, through mustard seed faith. The wind, the storm, and the sea seemed so much bigger than the small seed of his words that they had been going to the other side. That All they could see is that it didn't look like they were going to make it. They were going to make it whether they had faith to make it or not. You know why? Because Jesus said they would. You know, when I read the story of Samson and God says, you're going to be a mighty deliverer. And I read over and over, he makes the, he makes the bad decisions. All of his decisions are based on his pride, based on his anger, on his revenge and on his fear. But you know what he becomes? He becomes a hero. Why? Can God said this man would be born and he would be a great judge of Israel. That's why. It's sad that he killed more in his dying than he did in his living, but it didn't have to be that way. Without him, they wouldn't even have the faith. He was training them for a day when he would go to the Father and they would be without his physical form. He was cultivating faith in the fertile soil he had prepared in their hearts and he, the sower, was sowing his word, the word of God in their hearts. In some of them, it would bring forth 20-fold, others 40, and others 60. He was teaching them that just a little faith, a mustard seed faith, had the power to not only heal the sick, but to calm the stormy sea of Galilee. And any other overwhelming storm they encountered in the coming days and months, and we know they did. They lived through the tempest of His crucifixion. They would be called on God to endure this time as their friend and teacher in three days of storm and uncertainty as He lay in a tomb. Each of them would be called to give His life for their faith. Storms their bodies would not weather, but their faith would stay afloat. These lowly men would become the very definition of the kingdom of God on earth and the church. They would become the foundation. And Paul says, the apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And you know how they became the foundation? They became not by acquiescing to fear, but by faith, believing that what God says, God will do. He was asleep in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. They awoke him. They said, Master, do you not care? Yes, he cares. He cares enough to seem to sleep while we learn the power that fear has to make us forget. But he always awakes and calms the storm. He arose, rebuked the wind, and said unto the waves, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and sea obey him? They have forgotten his words, though he didn't, thought he didn't care, but they didn't forget he was in the boat. Their faith in him would not be disappointed. And many of us, many of, many of you here, you have people to turn to when you're too afraid to deal with it, Right? Right? You get in a bad way, some of you might even call me, right? Like, I'm afraid Mark won't be afraid, right? Come on now, I'm not trying to point to me, right? I've loved you, I've been, I'm the, I'm, I'm, even though I'm on my 40s, I'm the old man. But one day I'm going to be dead. One day I'm going to be gone, and there'll be another generation that needs to see you, Jonathan, having faith. Who needs to be called to a life of faith. Because you're the, you're the only one left in the boat. That's what he was teaching them. I'm going away, but you're going to be here. That's what God's doing in your life, Jeff. Learn to walk by faith. So that you can be the one. When others can't. Who stands up and says, peace, be still. That's when you'll need the faith to calm the seas of tribulation in your family. In this church. 
today may be mature in your body as you may be. You may see that your faith is infantile and weak. But I believe the Lord is faithful. And as one of the disciples said, Lord, I believe. But Lord, would you help my unbelief? I believe we can still pray that prayer today. Ask God for the bread of faith and He will not give you a stone. Ask God to increase your faith and He will. Faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things we can't see. It's dark. It's a fierce storm. It's a small boat. The water's coming in fast. All we see is monsters and the deep swallowing us whole. But the Master has said, we're going to the other side. Ask God for faith, faith that continues to come sown into your lives as the incorruptible seed of the word. Pray for its fruitful increase. Pray that God would use you to calm the storms of others, to bring peace in their lives, to cast out fear. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let us pray. Lord, we have all been in the boat. We have all forgotten because of fear about Your Word, but today I would hear Your admonition. This lesson, I'm sure, became very clear to the disciples from that day, or at least much clearer. Lord, I pray that for us, that we maybe even for a few minutes have been in that boat with You, with them, and we remember how we live our lives. And I pray today that we would choose faith over fear that we would remember what Your Word says and that it's true regardless of what we see around us. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.